Hey guys, I'm Chris. Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers, bringing you some more bunker zombie fun. That's right. We just can't get enough of zombies in enclosed spaces, like COVID isn't a thing. That's right. <laughs> and this is Resident Evil. <laughs> <laughs> Resident Evil is a 2002 action horror film written and directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. The film stars Mila Jovovich. Right? Did I do it right that time? And what I say wrong is Paul, I always say Paul W. or Paul S. I don't say to Paul W.S. How greedy can you get with two middle names? I'm, there's another Paul Anderson, though, isn't there? So he has to be like, be really. But is that Paul S. or Paul W.? I don't Or is it just Paul Anderson? I don't know. Anyway, whatever. Either way. It doesn't matter. He's Paul. It's Mila Jovovich. <laughs> W.S. and she's Mila Jovovich. And they're a husband and wife. They are. Day. They are they're married, uh, but also stars Michelle Rodriguez, Eric Mabius, and James Purefoy. Purefoy, mm-hmm. yeah, lots of hard names in there. Is the voice not hard? I don't. Yeah, maybe it's just the way that I'm reading it. Maybe I said like oh. Purefoy. I don't know. Only me when I look at him. <laughs> <laughs> no, you keep that in. It's the first installment in the Resident Evil. <laughs> Please, you know you're... No, I'm not even going to say that. I'm just going to leave it alone. It's the first installment in the Resident Evil film series, which is loosely based on the video game series of the same name. Borrowing elements of the first and second games, the film follows an amnesiac heroine and a group of commandos as they attempt to contain the outbreak of a deadly virus at a secret underground facility. A.K.A. Bunker. Yeah. (laughs) The film has a storied past, with many different writers and directors attached. In 1998, George A. Romero directed a commercial for the Resident Evil 2 game. While it only aired in Japan, Sony was so impressed with it, they asked Romero to write and direct a film version. In a 2002 Fangoria interview, Romero said that he wrote five or six different drafts, but all were rejected. In the same article, Robert Colzer said that while Romero's work was good, the movie would have ultimately received an NC-17 rating. Okay, well, that's what editing is for. So, like, George Romero, does he just write, like, just draft after draft after draft of a movie? Well, what matters more to him, based on what we just talked about last week in Day of the Dead, is that it matters more to him that it's NC-17 than actual stories. Like, he he got rid of half his budget and had to get rid of 100 pages of script just to make it NC-17. It's like, dude, what are you doing? (laughs) He just, I mean, he wants to give the horror fans what they want, apparently. I guess so, yeah. Well, in 1995, Paul W.S. Anderson's low-budget Mortal Kombat became one of the first commercially successful video game movies. After playing the game Resident Evil, he saw the cinematic potential. By late 2000, Anderson was announced as the writer-director, and the film re-entered pre-production stages. As a matter of fact, he had already done Event Horizon as well, right after Mortal Kombat, and basically this movie is just Mortal Kombat and Event Horizon combined into one, right? That's right, and set on Earth. (laughs) But, I mean, I don't know, I'm sure we'll get into that conversation is it is it <laughs> who would name their city raccoon city whoever created the game i guess i don't know isn't that what the name of the game I, i've never played the game so we'll get into that shit too i'm sure i know nothing about resident evil except for the movie versions the, the name of the game is resident evil yeah why well, i got yeah. that one. i mean of the same name <laughs> okay listeners you're all going to die down here this is Resident Evil. Deep underground. In a top secret research lab, security has been breached. A deadly virus capable of contaminating the entire world has been released. Oh my god. We have to get out of this building! Who's that? It's the brakes! <laughs> 
here to help. Now, and the elite team has been sent in to stop it. Five hours ago, Red Queen went homicidal. Who's the Red Queen? State-of-the-art artificial intelligence. The corporation's keeping a few secrets down here. But they have only three hours left before it begins infecting and mutating the whole human race. Everyone stay calm. You have to get out. Don't listen to anything she says. She's a holographic representation of the Red Queen. Maybe our only way out of here. How is she still standing? She isn't standing now. No one is immune. Resident Evil. You're all going to die down here. In the lee of a picturesque ridge lies a small, unpretentious town called Raccoon City. <laughs> okay. Underneath Raccoon City is a genetic research facility called The Hive, owned and operated by the Evil Umbrella Corporation. Within The Hive, an unseen thief steals a vial of a genetically engineered T-virus, purposefully shattering it on the floor and releasing its contents into the open air. In response, the facility's artificial intelligence and security system called the Red Queen seals the hive and kills everyone inside to prevent exposure to the outside world. Outlander? <laughs> Outlander, we have your employees. <laughs> Far above the hive, Alice, played by Mila Jovovich, awakens in the bathroom of a deserted mansion with temporary amnesia. She takes a minute, but just a minute, to pull herself <laughs> together before she's seemingly ambushed by Raccoon City police officer Matt, played by Eric Mabius. The ambush is ambushed, however, <laughs> when a group of commandos crashes into the mansion, including spicy Latina action girl Rain Ocampo, played by Michelle Rodriguez, <laughs> and their leader, James Shade, played by Colin Salmon. The commandos force Alice and Officer Matt into the hive with them as they continue their investigation into what has happened. On their way down, they find Spence, played by James Purefoy, who also has temporary amnesia. Alice and Spence learn from the commandos they were a fake married undercover security team who were stationed in the mansion to protect the entrance to the hive, although they still have no memory of this due to being hit with nerve gas as an automated security precaution when the hive locked down. Gaining access to the main thoroughfare of the hive, the group finds that they can't access anything and heads to the Red Queen's chamber in order to open all the doors of the facility. Unfortunately, the Red Queen has other ideas and utilizes laser beams to cube four of the commandos almost instantly, <laughs> including their leader, Shade. The Red Queen kills four times. Sorry. <laughs> as long as it's accurate. It dawns on one of the commandos to shut down the Red Queen's defense system before trying to access her chamber, and after doing so, they enter. A holographic representation of a little girl appears and warns them to all leave while they can, and that if they ignore her and open all the doors, they will all die. Armed with this important new information, they promptly ignore her and open all of the doors. <laughs> I mean, like, really, though? I mean, they had to go on, so. But she told them, flat out. Leaving to explore the rest of the hive, the team quickly learns where all the facility's workers and scientists have been, as they are now a horde of unleashed, ravenous zombies, now free to roam and feed as they please. After getting separated from the group, Alice kicks a zombie dog in the head, utilizing over-the-top fight choreography, and starts to remember a few details about her life, like Kung Fu. 
and vivid flashback for him. Meanwhile, Spence is starting to remember things too. Apparently, he was the thief of the virus and was trying to exit the facility with the virus and an antidote before he was gassed by the Red Queen. Conversely, Alice had been working with insiders, such as Officer Matt's sister, to take the entire company down before Spence decided to ruin everything. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but <laughs> Officer Matt sounds like a fucking stripper name. Like someone who shows up to a fucking bachelorette party. Like, hi, I'm Officer Matt. <laughs> like, I'm sure you are. <laughs> He's a little special in the movie. I wanted him to sound a little special in the synopsis. Good. Upon all of this remembrance, Spence betrays the group and heads for the surface. But before he can, he gets licked by the liquor, a monster that exists for some reason. <laughs> Finally, Alice, Matt, and Rain manage to escape from the surface on the train before the liquor strikes again. <laughs> they somehow electrocute the monster by pinning its tongue to the train track's third rail, setting it ablaze. <laughs> I'm really enjoying this. Continue. After Rain succumbs to her zombie bites and is shot in the head, Alice and Matt make it safely back to the surface. But before they can enjoy a celebratory bone, they are separated and taken away by surprise scientists. <laughs> surprise! Beakers! <laughs> Sometime later, Alice awakens at the Raccoon City Hospital strapped to an examination table. After pulling out various tubes and wires from her body, she escapes outside only to find Raccoon City deserted and in ruins. Ruins. A local newspaper reads, The Dead Walk! And she grabs a shotgun from an abandoned police car and makes her way through the post-apocalyptic streets. The end? No, of course it isn't. So Resident Evil was released on March 15th, 2002, which was a few weeks ahead of schedule. It opened on 2,528 screens and grossed $17.7 million opening weekend, earning the number two spot behind the animated movie Ice Age. The film would eventually go on to gross a little more than $40 million domestically. It would reach a global gross of $103.7 million against a reported budget of $33 million. Wow. Yeah. It's a lot of money. So, you know, I don't know, because back then, uh, Lord of the Rings was made for $100 million. Mm -hmm. Right. And it came out a year before and actually two towers that same year and return of the king the year after. So each film was essentially $33 million. Right. I don't know that this is on the scale of one of the Lord of the Rings movies. No. I mean, like, obviously, yeah. I mean, those movies were far more profitable. Right. But no, I'm talking about budget. Oh, oh. So individually, they would have been about $33 million each. Is yes. That what you're saying? Mm -hmm. yeah. As far as cost. No, Lord of the Rings made like a billion dollars. I thought it was more like a gobbledygillion dollars. But yeah. Something like that. Mm -hmm. Between a billion and a gobble to gill. It was, it was a lot. It was a lot of money. Yeah. So, but I mean, yeah. like $103 million for a horror movie is nothing to scoff at, for sure. I think. Oh, no. Not at all. Yeah. Especially, well, Anderson was hoping for an R rating from the MPAA, as he said it needed that to fully retain the horror of the video game. It was reported, however, that the movie originally received an NC-17 rating, and Anderson made enough cuts to have that changed. It's been rumored ever since that he would release an unrated version, although that has never happened. And I'm not quite sure what they could have added to that uncut version or like or kept in, right, to make it a better movie. So, I mean, just more gore, maybe some yeah, more titty. I maybe. Don't. I don't, well, it had plenty of Mila Jovovich, <clears throat> but it didn't have a lot of blood, weirdly, you know? Yeah, no, it really doesn't. I mean, they, they, they cut away from a lot of shit. So. I mean, watching this after Day of the Dead is like a Disney movie. <laughs> Well, I think every every movie after Day of the Dead, as far as like gore or zombie gore, things like that, we, it's like a fucking cakewalk, you know? So yeah. mm -hmm. we just never reach that level of like stomach churning gore again. No. So Resident Evil has a 35% on Rotten Tomatoes with an audience score of 67%. The site's consensus reads, like other video game adaptations, Resident Evil is loud, 
violent, formulaic, and cheesy. Audiences polled by CinemaScore gave the film an average of B. Okay. I mean, so obviously there's been some uh, adjustment on the audience score side on Rotten Tomatoes, right? So at the time, though. Resident Evil and its first sequel appear on Roger Ebert's most hated films list, published in 2005. (laughs) In his review, he described it as a zombie movie set in the 21st century where large metallic objects make crashing noises just by being looked at. And he criticizes the dialogue for being a series of commands and explanations with no small talk. I mean, I don't really want small talk all the time in like an action movie. So, I mean, it's fine. But this is like two zombie movies in a row where people have complained about it just being like windy arguments or like commands or like, go, stop, don't oh, do that. there wasn't that. even any arguments. It was literally just like, we're doing this right now. And that's it. And that's what everyone did. It wasn't even, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like the closest thing is Michelle Rodriguez saying, I'm going to get laid after this. And that was it. Yeah. It's good small talk, though. Mm-hmm. Owen Gleiberman of Entertainment Weekly noted that the film is as impersonal in its relentlessness as the video game series that inspired it. In his Chicago Tribune review, Robert Elder stated that the film updates the zombie genre with an anti-corporate message while still scaring its audience and providing heart-pounding action. I feel like we've seen anti-corporate messages in zombie movies before. Yeah, like, I don't know, Dawn of the Dead. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, a little-known film like Dawn of the Dead. (laughs) Maybe like anti-conglomerate, you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess they weren't talking about corporations, they were talking about, like, consumerism, I guess, but I mean... It's the same thing as, like, a shadowy government agency or something, you know? It's just whatever. You know, you could... Night of the Comet. I mean, everything goes back. I mean, this stuff was... Yeah, I don't think that's anything new. Nothing was updated. Robert Elder. Stop that. No. This movie is as old as the stars. (laughs) (laughs) So it did get some accolades, and it does have a legacy. So at the uh, Golden Schmoes Awards, it was nominated for Most Underrated Movie of the Year. It lost to Frailty. And uh, Best Horror Movie of the Year, but it lost to The Ring. And Best... uh, TNA of the year for Kirsten Dunst, but lost to Kirsten Dunst in Spider-Man. How did how did Kirsten Dunst win over Mila Jovovich? <laughs> That's why I added this into there. I mean, I don't know what the Golden Schmoes Awards are. Apparently, they were just released like for two years and it stopped. I, yeah, there's like a thing one year, I guess. <laughs> but when I was looking on Wikipedia, it said it was nominated for Best TNA. And I was like, well, who the fuck won? Oh, my God. You know? And I was like, Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> it's for that upside down kiss, I guess. I don't know. I, I guess. It also yeah. won Best Kiss at the MTV Movie Awards that, that year. That is a good kiss, you know what I mean? But I mean, like, and maybe I'm not the best judge of TNA, right? Do you think this is like the Golden Raspberry Awards, but like trying to be like nice about it? I think it's like the Golden Raspberry Awards, but it's run by really horny frat boys. Okay. Well, let's turn away from the horny frat boys and turn towards the horny nerds with the Saturn Awards. <laughs> That's right. Not the Saturn Awards. It was nominated for Best Horror Film, but it lost to The Ring. And it was nominated for Best Actress for Mila Jovovich, but she lost to Naomi Watts, also Oof. in The Ring. Who the fuck else was in there running? Mila Jovovich didn't do anything. <laughs> she would look pretty in this movie. <laughs> she looked pretty and shoot a gun. I don't know. After its commercial success, the film spawned five sequels. Apocalypse, End of War, Extinction in 2007, Afterlife in 2010, Retribution in 2012, and Final Chapter in 2016. Paul W. Sanderson did not direct the second or third films, however, due to commitments to Alien vs. Predator and Death Race. So he makes and good movies. Right. Well, okay. So we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, the total series budget was two hundred eighty-eight million for a total box office of one point two billion. Yeah, this franchise is incredibly popular. People like it, and they went to go see it. Like, well, they like to spend money on it. I don't know if they like it because the average Rotten Tomatoes score is thirty percent or less. Actually, the highest one, the highest rated one, is the last, and that is thirty-seven percent. So, are those audience scores though, or are they critic scores? 
Rotten, uh, Rotten Tomatoes critic stores. Yeah. Okay. I mean, like, I'd like to know, like, what some of the audience scores were for those movies because people continue to go watch these things after they were being made. Maybe they were just hoping that one of them would be really good or something, yeah. you know, but the audience score is much higher, like 60s probably, you know, but so, um, out of those, how many have you seen? You know, I saw, I think this, the next two. I saw one in the mid 2000s somewhere and it was like, I remember there was like a bus hitting a bunch of zombies and it wasn't the new Dawn of the dead. <laughs> um, and it was fun, but um, that must've been afterlife. Yeah. I can't, I, I honestly cannot remember what any of those movies are about. I know no, seen- it must've been extinction. It was extinction. So I've only seen the first three. I, I've seen apocalypse and I saw the first one that had Ali Larder in it, but I don't know. I don't remember which one that is, you know? And so like, That's I the think second one, Okay, I, I may have seen like the first three, or maybe skipped one, you know. But I know I haven't seen like the final movies, mm-hmm. and I I was thinking that after watching this, I might continue on in the series just to catch the ones that I missed or whatever. And I don't know if I'm going to do that. Or not. <laughs> I, just, I, mean. I think in like the fourth one, Michelle Rodriguez comes back. Oh, like a clone or something. So I've got to go watch these for eight or nine hours to see how it goes, but. I think I'd rather watch them with you. I think I'd have more fun than watching it by myself. So maybe that's like, that's a friend thing we can do. It'll be like a friend date. Okay. Sounds good. (laughs) But with all that being said, in 2020, Netflix announced a live action series based on the video games that began filming in February of this year. They have been releasing details often, such as basic plot points, but there is no release date as of yet. With more video games being released, I think it's safe to say this franchise isn't over, despite there being a, the final chapter. Well, there's also a reboot happening because it's, well, we're very nearly at 20 years since this film came out. Good Lord. My God. Uh, being done by the same director that did like 47 meters down or whatever. Um, oh, I like that movie. And so he's doing that. That's on IMDb. I don't know if it's a thing. Um, I didn't see it in the Wikipedia or any of the other materials I was looking at uh, when researching this film for this deep dive. But apparently there's lots of things in the works. More games. Uh, obviously that series on Netflix. And then another movie as a reboot. So... And I didn't even add in all the like anime movies that have been made about oh, this yeah, game exactly, series, yeah. you know? And so, I mean, like the, the Resident Evil franchise is like alive and well for sure. And of course they'd be making a reboot movie if like the franchise had made a $1.2 billion at the box office. I mean, it's going to happen. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you think about this director? Um, You know, every time I see Paul W. Anderson's name on something, like I, I tend to like it or at least remember that I liked it. Yeah, I feel like it, it invokes a certain feeling. Like, this is going to be dark, it's going to be pretty, and it's going to be dumb. You know? There's like, going to be, like, a lot of action. Mortal Kombat, I was, I was like, just at the right age for that when that came out. Um, Event Horizon, I absolutely loved it. It was, like, the first hardcore, like, horror movie I'd seen in the theater. I, my parents took me, to, <laughs> took me to it. I always love that anecdote, like, really. <laughs> I remember because the credits go up on the screen, and, and it's uh, the Prodigy song, and it's like, um, oh, my God, that's the funky shit, or whatever. And I was like, I love this song. And it, like, echoed and reverberated in the theater when I said that. My parents were just, like, so embarrassed, and they hated that movie. <laughs> and then um, Soldier, which is kind of a spinoff of um, Blade Runner, actually, uh, came out in 1998. And uh, I saw that and then Resident Evil and I hated him ever since Alien vs. Predator. I haven't like been on his side ever since then. And he really hasn't made a, a good movie since then, except for some people think Death Race is pretty good. Um, I even turned around and I watched Pompeii way down the road at 2014 
Um, but I even didn't like that. And, and Monster Hunter uh, just came out this last year with Mila Jovovich and everyone's shitting on it. So, yeah, I, I kind of wanted to see Monster Hunter just because like the monsters looked cool, right? I couldn't really wrap my head around the premise, but I think that's also based on a video game, if I'm not mistaken. And I don't know. I haven't seen a lot of his filmography, really. Like, I, I have never seen Soldier. I, I can't even remember, like, what that is, really. And um, Kurt Russell. I still don't remember. So, I mean, I, I must have not have seen it. I did like Alien vs. Predator, I have to say. Like, I, I can't help myself. I was looking forward to that movie, and I really enjoyed the shit out of it. I saw it in the theater, like, two or three times actually i haven't seen death race i haven't seen a lot of the the other resident evil movies i certainly haven't seen pompeii and i feel like the three musketeers right smack in 2011 between all these things is a very odd movie but um yeah i don't know but it seems like mila jovovich is in a lot of these films that's true well they're married um Mm -hmm. as of 2009 although i think they got engaged after this but she marries people that she does movies with right so mila um i think the first thing she did was marry the director of fifth element no actually she married another actor in dazed and confused divorced him right after then married luke besson that was you know directing the fifth element Uh and then uh divorced him shortly thereafter in 1999 and then like uh Right after they made this, she got engaged to this guy, um, I think in 2002 or three, and they didn't get actually married until like 2008, but they've been married since. So they've been together since the early 2000s. Well, and I wish them all the happiness in the world. I mean, like, obviously, nepotism is a huge part of their relationship, and that really keeps things spicy. So, well, that happened with Luke Besson, too, because he put her in the messenger and then they divorced because it was a pile of shit. So, (laughs) is it the Joan of Arc movie? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen that either, so I don't know. Well, he had just cast her in Fifth Element and it made her an instant star. She was iconic in that movie. Yeah, okay, so don't, I mean, I think you already know this about me, but don't, like, shoot me through the computer monitor. I haven't seen the Fifth Element either. I have not ever known that about you, and I am really wanting to shoot you through this <laughs> I know, I keep hearing that it's so good. You've never told me that. Yeah, well, because I'm scared sometimes to tell you what I haven't seen, because... <laughs> Because I know that you like good movies, right? And I've always heard that movie is good. And I, I, I feel like I need to watch it. You know what I mean? But it's been so long at this point. that You'd I, love it. I mean, Gary Oldman is a bad guy. Yeah. And I mean, I've I've seen like clips. Like I've seen that like alien opera scene or whatever, right? It's so off kilter. It's just so great and iconic. And she is amazing in it. She does a fantastic acting job compared to anything else in her whole career. Isn't she like mute in that movie or something? Like that? No, she's speaking like a, an ancient language. She's speaking like Sanskrit. And she's Ow. speaking it like a million miles a minute in any given scene. And, um, you know, it, she does an excellent job at it. Okay. So why don't we just like tack on the fifth element to our resident evil movie watch day or something? Just, <laughs> just so I can like, either way, I need to watch it at your house for sure. It's the best it's, yeah, for that. It's iconic. I need to show it to you in like, um, with all the, all the stops because it's a very visual movie. But anyway, what is your favorite Paul W. Anderson movie? Is it resident evil or is it something else that, of the ones you've seen? I would have to say event horizon for sure. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Hands down. I, I really like Event Horizon. I've liked it ever since I saw it. There was never a moment that I didn't like it. I've gone back and watched it a couple times yep. since I saw it the first time. And I think that it's a really good horror movie. Yeah. I, I would go back to it every five to ten years and I get something new out of it every time I see it. Yeah, this is something that we really need to deep dive into at some point, right? I'm so sorry, listeners, that our first Paul D.B.S. Anderson movie is Resident Evil. It just happened to work out in Zombie Bunker Month or whatever, but well, we Resident will Evil's talk about that. I'm sure a no. lot of our listeners love it. And you know what? It has a special place in my heart, too. But but Event Horizon is good. And I think that's one of the movies that we both really agree on as being a fantastic horror film. Yeah, so. we definitely want to. We, de- <laughs> we definitely want to deep dive into that. But let's uh, let's start talking about the movie a little bit. And I want to start off by by talking about 
the music because it opens with like the metallic clangs that some of our favorite reviewers are complaining about. But uh, it's a team up of Marco Beltrami, who of course did things like Scream, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a team up with him and Marilyn Manson. And I loved the soundtrack when it came out and played it ceaselessly. I absolutely adored the soundtrack and part of me still loves like a few tracks on it. It's still good to this day. I remember owning the soundtrack when it came down when it came out because I also really liked it a lot. I didn't really know who Marco Beltrami was at the time. And since, yes, I have grown to to know and love his work. I think that he's a really good horror composer. Um I, I really like his work on World War Z a lot. So yeah, I think that he's fantastic. I don't think that I realized that Marilyn Manson contributed to it until on this watch. I, I owned the soundtrack and didn't know that. So. Oh really? Oh yeah. well, I was excited about it because that was part of like the you know, the buzz for me about the movie before it ever came out was that Marilyn Manson was very heavily involved with the music. So now we've talked about the the music, why don't we actually talk about the movie itself? Okay, I'm ready for it. So of course we we start off with a, an excellent prologue in my opinion, right? So we get like um, kind of a little bit of exposition and we get the slow-mo virus release from uh, later on we find out it's James Purefoy's character, Spencer. I love the pro like the intro to this movie. I just I really do. Um including like the narration right at the beginning, right? Because it's so like crystal clear what's going on. It's very clear that Umbrella is bad. They like they give you all the details. And you know that I I mean I take notes as I watch the movie, right? And I think half of my notes are just from the intro to this movie. So it may be my favorite part of it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, it's just interesting because I remember how slick this movie felt and looked when i first watched it back in 2002 right and mm-hmm. it's almost the case for almost every new action or genre film after 1999 essentially after the matrix right when they figured out how to film things in a slightly different way and more uh complicated ways to make things look kind of beautiful and slow-mo instead of like stop motiony right and so we get all these interesting shots and action gets slowed down in spaces that hasn't really been able to do that so we're talking of the first three years of this technology and how movies started to look that way and we get a couple of scenes later in the film too kick the dog moment for instance where it's actually just shot so beautifully and but today it's almost like nothing you see that on tv now like freaking big birds doing on sesame street versus <laughs> versus back in the day like that was like a new way to film things and it looked really really slick when it came out but that's part of the the storytelling of this this first part is you know you get to see the kind of the virus getting thrown and shattered in that slow motion shot and uh, we get that crazy elevator scene right yeah i mean and now that you're saying that i kind of remember like the matrix in this i mean in that time period i you know when it was sort of new and now it is very, very overused, right? I mean, it's just not a surprise anymore, but at the time, yeah, it was amazing. Amazing looking. The entrance, the, the, the intro to this movie is great. The elevator scene, I have some problems with. Though. Oh, really? I mean, I like all the moments of it, right? But I think that this is our first example of this movie sort of shying away from gore, right? Yeah. And so when that woman gets her head stuck and the elevator sort of like stops down at the bottom and she realizes she's about to get, you know, sort of decapitated by this elevator going back up, they completely shy away from that. And I was just like, maybe just because we had just okay. gotten finished watching a movie where body parts are flying off of people <laughs> or whatnot. But I was like, why do they have to cut away from that decapitation scene? I mean, like, it's not anything we haven't seen before in a horror movie. Like, why shy away from the gore right at the beginning? You're right. And that's going to be a theme that we're going to talk about this whole movie, right? They shy away from a lot of that. Like, even in some of the later points we get to see the gore and like almost like a reflection or something like that right and so like and this is a perfect example of that however i almost feel like he's using it as his almost like lawrence of arabia blow out the match transition you know right (laughs) okay because she's getting decapitated with her head sticking out of the elevator door 
because it's going back up again and then it goes to black and then we start our movie that's that's what ends the epilogue i think i, I where's it the woman floating in the water uh one of those but either way it serves as a transition to go to a next scene Right. And th- there's a lot more than just that elevator scene in this intro, though. I mean, we have people um, like screaming at cameras, right? Because, I mean, the shit's going on in this, you know, underground bunker where they're working and living. And it's it starts like a normal day for them. But then, like, shit hits the fan. And it's a whole series of, like, really unfortunate events for all these people, right? And they're all dying in, like, different ways. Some people are being gassed. Some people are drowning, Right. Uh, those dogs like sort of like smell the virus. And I was thinking to myself, mm-hmm. like, are those dogs there to smell the virus? Or are they being horribly tested on? Like, who knows what Umbrella is doing? But- it almost reminded me of the end of uh, Cabin in the Woods for some reason. <laughs> bunker. <laughs> yeah, the you're right. Dying. And then shit's being released, right? So, yeah, yeah, but if, I, I mean- feel like if, if it had been that bloody, you know, right at the beginning, people would have started laughing kind of like they did in Cabin in, Cabin in the Woods as a crescendo moment for the movie. You know, yeah, you don't want to, you want to creep people out and not show them too much. So I'm on the fence for the for at least for the prologue. I, I feel like I'm going to give them a little bit of a pass for that. Maybe I'm just one of those horror fans that's like, well, if I don't get to see the head cut off, then I'm going to turn it off. You know what I mean? I mean, I, obviously I'm not. You know, I'll sit through an entire movie, but I've seen other films that sort of shy away from gore that have an R rating, and I just don't understand why. You know? Yeah, so. I, I'm not sure. I think it's because of the time this came out. Because you look at things that came before it that were R rated, and they get way worse than this i mean really i mean look at the thing right way 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 worse and yeah. the movies that came after it that kind of had that rebound effect where the, the the gore was over the top and still rated r like in hostile a few short years later because i feel like post 1999 we had 2000 2001 2002 backlash right backlash for columbine nothing mm. could be too violent too gory to anything it all had That's to be true. high concept and i feel like if this was made a few years earlier a few a few years later it would have been much more gory yeah i mean and i think back on like what george romero would have done like do you think he obviously probably would have shied away from the gore it would have to have been an unrated movie or nothing else yeah. right so <laughs> i don't know i mean like after the prologue we sort of like get um, to to see our characters for the first time, right? Like Mila, like laying in that shower, like she just fell there and is waking up with the water running and not pruny at all, you know. And <laughs> yeah, that's right. Know. My, my, <laughs> we, we my favorite part mention. of her waking up is when she's like exploring the house and she like pulls out a drawer and it's like men's clothes. She pulls out the second drawer, just random shit, and it's like guns in the third drawer. And I was like, well, of course, that's where everyone keeps their guns, right? Mila. Jesus. And everyone keeps their one dress right on their bed, <laughs> like Coffee Cat, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, you're right. Or like, oh, my one red dress, it's laid out. I'll just put it on. <laughs> God. Yeah. So then everything goes really, really, really quickly, right? And so we yeah. run into, you know, Officer Miat. <laughs> and then we. <laughs> And like I said in the synopsis, the ambush gets ambushed by all the commandos coming in. And um, very quickly, we we enter the hive for the next real section of the movie, right? Yeah. They get on that train. They get it a-going. And um, we find uh, Spence. Yeah, right? we do. Spence. So. Um, James Purefoy, who I'm actually a big fan of. And he had a little horror period, horror supernatural film a couple of years ago that no one saw that I thought was actually really good. And he was also in Rome as mark antony and he was excellent i forgot he was in rome yeah oh my god mm-hmm. very good because the whole time i was watching this i was like i know i've seen him in other things what was the supernatural movie I'm looking it up now solomon kane i have not seen that so yeah it was good really i don't know cool yeah i mean like he's stuff. 
Oh, really? Like, yeah. He's super recognizable. I just I can't ever place him on where I've seen him before. Eric, may, maybe is how you say his name? Right? Yeah. I don't. I mean, I know that I've seen him in things, too. I think he was in a Crow movie, even though I've never he seen him. He played Officer Matt. Yeah. But then, you know, I'd say the, the, the next big moment of this film is, of course, the laser beams. Right? Yes. Oh, my God. And to this day, their special effects people really actually, like I was watching the Corridor crew on YouTube, and they were talking about this effect of the cubing people with lasers. And they still, they say it's excellent. It was excellently done for the time for what they had, you know, able to do with the software and hardware. And that it was excellent of what they showed. And, um, you know. <laughs> I remember well, and, it being shocking the first time I saw it. And it's a little bit of the, like, the most sickening and the most gore you probably see the entire movie. Yeah. I mean, it's the most gore on like a, a living human that you would see in this movie. Right. Yeah. And then like they, they do some things that are shocking that were neat. And I remember seeing this in the theater mm-hmm. and like, once that scene came on, I was like, okay, like I'm going to like this movie a lot, especially <laughs> when that woman's head is like bisected and falls to the ground. And I was just like, Oh shit. You know, the rest of them are trapped in there and it really creates some stakes for those characters. And it's really good. That guy's hand is like chopped off, yep. you know, and it's just really fucking cool. I love it. And then finally our, you know, our leader, our fearless leader, and pretty much the only character I like in the whole movie, <laughs> uh, Shade, played by Colin Salmon, and also token black guy, is killed. Mm. Uh, he's not the first person to get, be killed, obviously. Everyone in the prologue, and then other commandos that were killed or maimed, you know, before, you know, he got killed by the lasers. But I didn't want him to die so early. I really liked his character, and I like that actor, um, you know. But we do get to see like the melty eyeball from the laser, yes. and then the reflection oh of the God. metallic door. You see like the cubed like human form kind of collapsed all to the ground and everything and i thought that was done really really well and to this day as one of the standout effects if not the standout effect of the entire movie and really sequence yeah i have to completely agree uh that actor's name is colin salmon yeah so um not not some it's not a name that i recognize but like he he was good in this movie he seemed like a really knowledgeable good character and yeah i mean it's i think that they killed off the leader so early to create sort of like a a different kind of like aspect or like an environment for the rest of the characters. I mean, I can see the reason why, but yeah, I don't know. I didn't want him to die so early either. But then we do get to, that leads to us having to actually meet the red queen and having that, you're all going to die moment, you know? And that's, that's something like we're about halfway through this movie now, or actually in the movie, probably the third, but that's one thing that I feel about this movie is that it's like these really key moments just kind of strung together by a bunch of like beige filler right it's like someone thought oh my god these five scenes are going to be killer and then didn't like (laughs) it's just on the day they were like how are we going to string these together (laughs) (laughs) i mean and you can see that sort of in like the filmmaking style too and i know that paul davis anderson had made movies before then good movies as we've talked about yeah but like there's a scene before they even get to the hallway cube scene and they're walking through what they think is dining room b right and there's like some fog on the ground and i was like oh jesus nice touch you know like (laughs) do we have to have all that i'm like it's like you just thought about it the day of you're like what what are we gonna do to make it scary let's put some fake fog in there like yes you know i'm like please yeah it was like the the creepy server room is what it looks like and you know, then later on, we figured like those aren't filled with like motherboards. They're filled with, you know, like monsters and shit. So, you know, whatever. Of course, that room's going to be in the main thoroughfare and not behind a locked door. But wh- what do I know? Mm-hmm. Dining hall B. <laughs> I mean, and I guess true to form, people do get eaten there later on. That's true. So. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Foreshadowing. So after we, we, you know, we have that moment, we have the laser moment, we have the you're all going to die moment with the, the red holographic little girl. We, we get our first big trailer moment, which is, of course, Alice gets 
sidetracked and gets locked into a random room with zombie dogs, security dogs. Um, have you played the game? A little bit. Uh, yeah. So I was curious watching it on this time. I don't think that I really thought about it uh, watching Resident Evil the first time. I had I knew people who had played the game, but I didn't know like what happens, right? And I was thinking, I was like, does, does it take the actual course of the game itself as like, the movie does, right? Does that make sense? Like, Not really. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think by the time I knew that Resident Evil was an actual game, they were already on two. Like my friends were playing Nemesis or something like that. And I was like, I don't know. But yeah, they had like two or three games out before the movie came out, I thought. I, possibly. I don't I have no idea. Yeah. But I, I think this movie kind of lends itself to like gameplay like um like style and like procedure like i can totally see someone waking up as alice and having to like search throughout the mansion that she wakes up in and find the dress and put it on and blah 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 and it seems like a step-by-step kind of video game style right or maybe i'm just like i think it was more of a point and shoot experience and explore experience uh especially back then um you know certainly not putting the dress on as if i could be wrong but i that's not what i remember you know um very, very much, you know, doom, quake, you know, walking through the halls, experiencing stories you, as you, you know, are killing all these little monsters, these monsters and zombies and trying to survive and, and things like that. But it's very much a, a, a first or third person shooter, depending on the game. Yeah. Well, in, in the rest of the movie sort of like takes an approach that I would think a video game would too. I mean, so we've, we've already been introduced to zombies, right? And then she has zombie dogs and like, well, of course they have yeah. to one up it and one up it and one up it. Right. Zombie and so, dogs. Yeah. And uh, we get that trailer moment with her, like Kung Fu Trinity kick from the matrix, you know, mm-hmm. jump on the wall. And uh, that's always fun to see, but I'm just like, there it is. That's the moment. <laughs> it always <laughs> takes me out of it. You know? I mean, she's in that like asymmetrical red dress, right? That really doesn't seem to be moving that much. But thank God she wore that sensible shoe with it. I mean, the shoes weren't laid out, so I mean, she she chose the boot wisely. <laughs> so, yeah, it's very like Run Lola Run kind of outfit. I don't know. She has a Run Lola Run kind of haircut too, yeah. just a different color. So yeah, right. I mean, because it's just that style of movie from like 2002, the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah speaking of early right. 2000s, they had some bad CGI, even compared to some other movies um at the time and that's the liquor reveal right and uh they do have some puppets of it you know for close-ups and stuff they were fairly smart about it their visual effects supervisor was smart enough to be like okay we can't really pull this off even (laughs) the same day that this is created like this is high tech like we can't do it (laughs) like if you look at movies that came out a year before it you know like lord of the rings again you know they had a better cgi and things like that like uh harry potter right and um I don't know. It wasn't bad at the time. I don't remember thinking it was that bad, but I remember thinking it was obvious CGI, even at the time. You know, it's not to me that's not that scary of a monster. No, I mean I have to agree. Is it actually called the liquor? Yes, it's called the liquor. Yeah. No. (laughs) It's literally called the liquor. Like if you go, it's all over Wikipedia, it's all over IMDb, it's called the liquor. (laughs) Or on set they called him Clint. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The liquor. I mean, it's not that scary of a monster. It doesn't even have any fucking eyes, you know, has that long ass tongue. We've seen that, you know, since then too, but they still have to have eyes. I mean, look at alien, right? That's true. You know? Yeah. Which also had (laughs) probably what they were trying to go for part of its mouth. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, honestly, I mean like just the way that that monster like breaks out and moves and it happens at such a weird time that I'm like, okay, again, it's just like, we've seen zombies. We've seen zombie dogs. Of course, now there's going to be some like giant big monster. It was it know? was giving me you know Alien Three realness. Well, <laughs> the alien dog, the dog the alien. <laughs> 
I don't know. I don't think I like the liquor that much. Well, the, that's like basically the rest of the movie is the liquor and then basically escaping single file, you know, um, out of a lot of these zombie situations, you know, the train thing, you know, and, and rain dies. But I feel like a lot of this movie is like trying hard to recreate the magic of aliens, right? Specifically aliens, right? We've got a pale reflection mm-hmm. of Ripley and Alice, the badass Latina and rain, the aliens and zombies, the space Marines and the commandos, the little girl, right? Yeah. The file escapes that I just mentioned. And then, but with all the meaning and tension removed. So it's like they were trying to make a new aliens movie and it's like, they, they just utterly failed because they made these great moments, but they removed all the tension because they didn't sew them together. Yeah, I mean, I have to completely agree with you, right? I mean, so we do have a lot of commandos running around in a situation they're sort of like thrust into but signed up for. And um, they didn't really know what to expect when they were going into it. Fucked over but by again, a corporation that getting, thinks of them as expendable. <laughs> that's right. You know, it, it's like aliens all over it. I, And even to the point to where like commandos that we didn't think that we were going to like or like um, even count on for things are coming through at the moment, right? Like Kaplan mm-hmm. and... I mean, yeah, it's it really is just like watching aliens, just just not near as good. Yeah, so that's my problem with like the the like the structure and like the story is like not trying to be its own thing as much as it should be. I also felt like there was an issue with some of the characters. Like we had almost like one or two or three too many characters. Like the commandos kind of have their personalities, but we never get those intro moments like we did in movies like Aliens. Right? Mila doesn't have much to do. I'd rather her character be merged with like Reigns and have Michelle Rodriguez be the lead here. I thought she was by far the more interesting character. You know, we could even bring Mila back at the end so she can carry the other five movies. But damn, I miss Michelle Rodriguez and the potential she had in the early 2000s. She really did. I mean, Girl Fight is a good movie. Oh my God. And she was in Fast and and Furious and and she was in Lost and things like that. But after like a DUI, she kind of lost her, you know, um, like in Hawaii while she was filming Lost, she, she kind of lost her career a little bit. And she's been in a few things, but... She could have been this huge star. And you know what? If that had happened to a guy, they wouldn't have lost their career. I mean, it's probably true. I mean, I, I still I think she had a big career. Like you said, she was in a lot of these franchises, right? After Resident Evil. And she really cemented herself as sort of an action star. And um, I mean, I know a lot of like straight guys who think that she's super hot and they still want to see her in things. I think that she's a big, a bankable actress, you know? But um I don't know. I'm just not that big into action movies, so I haven't seen her in a lot of things. But I think that she did a lot of really heavy lifting in Girl Fire. That was great. Oh, she was excellent. Yeah. She was an avatar, too, I think. Yeah. But they killed her off there, too. So it's like, man. I can't remember. I've completely blocked that movie from my mind. Oh, fuck you. (laughs) I just like to say that shit in front of you just to get it to rile you up. Well, anyway, that's my problem with Rain dying, right? And of course, it's like the the false hope. She gets the they do all this thing with her, like she's been bitten so many times. You know, yeah. she's the last like commando standing. Um, she actually gets the anecdote, and then she finally like has a fake death moment. Like they're just like really just teasing you with her death, like this whole time. Finally, she does die after the fake death, and then as soon as she comes to actually be a threat, she gets shot in the head instantly. So it's just like what are they even doing here story-wise? Like, this doesn't make any sense to the audience. It's not funny, you know? No, it's not. It was not funny at all. Um, And and I think it's sort of like wrapping up very, very quickly. I also don't like some of these, like, um, flashback moments where they're trying to piece together their memory, right? Between Alice and Spence. And, 
you know, all of it is like stupid red herring, like things like she's talking about, I can get you the virus. I have access to maps, the works, right? And I'm just like, okay, so are we supposed to like her or not like her? Like, I already like Alice, so don't try to change it in the middle. And then they go back and give you an extended flashback scene where she's really the good guy trying to, you know, save the day. And I'm like, we don't need any of this. Well, they're trying to give us like political thriller vibes or something when it doesn't matter because we know it's heading towards post-apocalyptic setting. So it's like, there's no stakes with those, with that kind of background. And why are you, why are you force feeding it down our throats just to make us feel a certain way about this character and and her motivations? It's like, we don't care. That's why I'm saying like Mila doesn't have much to do here. And I'd rather her character be almost completely erased and just replaced with Michelle Rodriguez. You know what I mean? I mean, just like you said earlier there, they had these really good scenes that they wanted to piece together. And I think that was the way they were going to do it. So they were going to have these flashback moments where we can sort of connect different characters. Like they, they connect her with officer Miet and, you know, based on his sister and things like that. And I'm like, no, it's just completely unnecessary. And, you know, it ruins the movie in a little bit, but you know, after the train, right. We finally have no more flashbacks and we're thrust into like the ending of the movie. Well, I do want to say real quick that I do think Mila Jovovich is one of the best things about this movie. I'm mostly talking about the characterization of her character and, and then the extraness of like Michelle Rodriguez characters. And anyway, whatever I digress. Wait, I mean, so you think that, I mean, she should have been given, more to do like action wise i think that she's she's good in the movie you're right you know and i think that she she leads the film well I, it's it's not her fault that her character was so poorly written right yeah it was like there's so little there's so little room for any kind of characterization in this film um there's more characterization about the characters that die really <laughs> than you know that's true near the beginning you know i feel like the most human character in the whole thing is the character that, that actually dies at the very beginning is the sister of officer matt Right, that's the person I care most about, really, in the whole movie, besides the the lead commando. But anyway, these are story problems. But uh, I like I keep digressing. Let's talk about that the train and the and the getting back to the manse. So uh, at the end, when they're surprised again by scientists, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, it really moves very quickly, and they have a lot of dialogue that doesn't make a whole lot of sense or whatever, and and it really thrusts us into the end of the movie, which I think is really good too. I like the end of the film. So their prologue and their epilogue are great, in my opinion. Yeah. I thought they were in some in some ways iconic, right? Because she wakes like after they're, you know, surprised with the surprise scientists, you know, she wakes up in that hospital, the sterile, you know, a- Apple store of a hospital. And um <laughs> uh she's ripping all those things out of her, you know, and she looks like she's been just through it. You know what I mean? Like she's been her her head is partially shaven, she's got like cybernetic implants or something, something's been done to her yeah you know she, she really has been through it and she's wearing like the worst hospital gown of all time right it's yeah. like two pieces of paper on the front and the back like, how can we give how can we serve people another fifth element moment and it's just like okay let's just give her this ridiculous you know hospital gown i guess like no <laughs> anyway yeah that's my problem too she's wearing a napkin <laughs> yeah and i really don't like it when people like rip ivs and things out of themselves like it just bothers me so much and so she's like ripping things out of her and screaming and i'm like this is pretty much the most viscerally scary moment for me in the entire movie i'm like i feel so uncomfortable like watching her do it's that. the head one the head one bothers me oh god <laughs> i just can't yeah well anyway she she walks out of the hospital we have a very iconic moment with you know we see we see the the day of the dead newspaper the dead walk uh you know it's post-apocalyptic she grabs the shotgun and it's that's it's it, and we were we're introduced basically to the rest of the series. 
That's right. And I mean, we, we knew based on the first time watching Resident Evil, there was going to be another movie, right? They set it up so clearly. And I mean, I walked out of that theater expecting there to be another one. And excited and for one, I too. I probably would go see it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I thought, you know, I'll go watch it for sure. So, I have to say, me from, you know, whatever it's been, <laughs> 19 years ago, <laughs> was way more in love with this movie than I am today, right? It didn't age as well as I would have expected it to or wanted it to. Yeah, I have to agree. I I don't I don't think that I've seen it. I mean, I so I watched it in the theater. Did you? Oh yeah, when it came out. Oh yeah, I saw yeah. it at Grapevine Mills in uh, Grapevine, Texas. Which is probably when Grapevine Mills probably first opened around then too. Yeah, a couple of years. Yeah, and um, I think I probably watched it when it was released on DVD. I obviously bought it because they still have it, but I don't think that I've watched it probably since like 2005. You know, so yeah, it's been a good ten years since I've seen it. I kind of remembered it fondly, like I do a lot of movies that I haven't seen in like 15 years or more, right? So um, I was looking forward to watching it again, but yeah, I, I was a little bit more disheartened on this rewatch, I have to say. Yeah. And I don't know why. It's a perfectly good horror movie, you know? So yeah. I don't know. And I have like watching it back this time too, and having seen a lot of movies recently for the podcast, I noticed like there was a lot more ripoff than just aliens, right? Mm. So like there's a there's a very blatant ripoff of a moment where doors open and zombies pour out, a la Dawn of the Dead elevator scene, right? And every time those fucking zombie dogs like sniffed up against a round mirror or window and a door, I was just like, God, it's like Jurassic Park. I mean, like <laughs> these dogs are not raptors. Stop trying to do what the raptors did. Yeah. It, it even went so far as to like put some breath on the door and i was like it's a zombie dog it's not breathing i was like stop that <laughs> but yeah i mean like he he had some ideas i think and i he just sort of like reached out to other films to like do exactly what they had done well i got some fun facts for you i always enjoy these let me know what they is all right well obviously if you didn't catch it <laughs> there's connections to alice in wonderland right <laughs> really <Yeah>. so <laughs> So for you listeners who are a little slower on the uptake or haven't watched the movie recently, obviously the main character's name is Alice, although you have to look at the credits for that because she's not ever called Alice, I don't think, in the movie. Uh, yeah, I can't remember her being called Alice. Yeah. She can't remember her name. So, so maybe quite a few people won't have realized this. But anyway, um, obviously the computer is named Red Queen. Red Queen needs to kill someone who's infected, so she tries to get someone else to top off their head, right? Off uh-huh. of their head. Off of their head. There's an Alice in Wonderland paperweight in the office. <gasps> uh, a white rabbit was used to test the T-virus. And uh, to enter the hive, they go through a mirrored door, right? So through the looking glass. And uh, of course, the, um, the commander or the commando Kaplan worries about time, as the White Rabbit does. And Matt, Officer Matt, is sitting on the ledge when Rain and JD hear the first zombie. This is mentioned in the commentary as a reference to the caterpillar. So it's just everywhere. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's pretty obvious, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, because I don't know how much we talked about it in our conversation, I, I do like that, like representation of the red queen i think it's neat yes i do you know? yeah me too next up david boreanaz was actually intended to portray the male lead cop of matt addison however he turned down the role to continue work on his wb series angel i think that was a smart choice on his part yeah. but i think he would have been good why would you turn down role? a whole series you know the potential there right and he was right you know mm-hmm. it, it went on for five seasons so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The crew had a hard time dealing with the dogs because uh, they kept licking the blood and meat off of themselves. <laughs> this is why my dogs can't be actors because they do the same thing. They're like, oh, entrails. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of the most popular scenes in the film when Alice runs up the wall and flings around to kick the zombie dog in the head took three months of training for Mila Jovovich. Really? Yeah. That's like a five second moment. Yeah, three months. Well, because apparently they didn't, that a lot. they didn't do it with wires. Oh, she did. Apparently. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. I mean, after three months, of course, she's like, I got this. Right. Yeah. 
And I'm pretty sure that paid off for the rest of these movies too that came after it. Like I know she was like a badass ass kicker throughout well, all. She of was them, a badass so. ass kicker in Fifth Element before this, right? So I'm so excited to watch that now. Oh yeah, way more than this movie. The film was uh, originally titled Resident Evil Ground Zero, but the title was changed mm-hmm. to just Resident Evil after the you know September 11th, 2001 attacks on the USA. Yeah, I can see how that would have played poorly a shocking amount of movies had to change their plots or were canceled or had to cancel trailers and stuff around that time like i remember the first spider-man movie trailer and it was um a slow zoom out of a helicopter being caught in a web between the two towers and that was the trailer and so they had to cut they had to immediately cut that trailer you know and replace it with something else so there was lots of lots of things there was whole movies about um uh, actually, like a there was like a heist movie. I forget what it was, but it was going to be a heist movie about the Twin Towers, like running planes into them and stuff. So, like, there was a whole bunch of shit having to do with the Twin Towers that had to be like canceled or moved or changed. Yeah, I would like to like deep dive into that conversation sometime and just talk about how movies were different because of what happened at a certain like moment in history, right? And I, I think it's pretty much a new invention, but I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a oh different yeah, there's a huge there's yeah books and books written about post nine elevenism and, and all that stuff, right? Battlestar Galactica, for one. When the cast were doing ADR for the film, and that's, of course, going back and doing your your audio dubs, right? For, you know, grunts and screams and breaths and anything you can't hear clearly. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So Mila Jovich wasn't happy with her performance. She originally delivered her lines in her own actual speaking voice, so she decided to loop her entire dialogue and record it again by using a lower speaking register. (laughs) <laughs> really she did all so everything you heard in the movie was was uh re-recorded for her for, from her later trying to use a lower octave of her voice because she she felt like she was like hey guys what's up <laughs> well that sort of matched up perfectly i would have never have thought that was the case yeah. lord i mean i've seen a lot of movies where like things don't match up but i mean maybe they just cut away from her face during her really important speeches or something mm-hmm. if she even has any but <laughs> is that what she sounds like in real life i'm not even quite sure i know that um it, it depends on what movie she's in um, she has a high, fairly high voice, but I mean, I feel like I must have seen her be a guest judge on America's Next Top Model at some point. I'm gonna have to like do a search and see what she does on America's Next Top Model and compare <laughs> like her real love. Her her real voice is like, <laughs> I love, I love. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited to compare now versus <laughs> I'm Alice. Yeah. Do you like my red asymmetrical dress and boots? So for my final, my final fun fact in 2014. Filmmaker James Cameron, director of Aliens, named Resident Evil his biggest guilty pleasure. <laughs> I wonder fucking why. Because it's like watching his own movie. Right? Well, no, like that's an interesting thing for me because it's like these directors can never watch their own movies like an audience can. They're too close to it. They remember every single little detail of every single little thing in every given scene. Right. So oh. James Cameron has never seen a James Cameron movie. Steven Spielberg has never seen a Steven Spielberg movie. Right. It's part of the reason, like okay. like Peter Jackson said, I don't want to make the Hobbit movies. I want Guillermo del Toro to make them so that I can actually sit down and enjoy a Lord of the Rings style movie, right? You know, like the directors. I guess that makes tons of sense. Yeah. You're right. They can't. I mean, because this this really is like watching Aliens. But I mean, I'm glad he called it a guilty pleasure and not like my favorite movie. But in a world where like he's that. never seen Aliens because he made it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you're right. Oh my god. So kind yeah, of that's super sense. interesting. I uh, I wonder what else makes his guilty pleasure list though too. I mean, so. Piranha 3. No. <laughs> <laughs> he has to step outside of the Piranha universe. I don't want to make Piranha 3D. I want Alexandra Aja to make it so I can watch a Piranha movie. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. Okay, those were fun. I really enjoyed that. But we have some questions to ask about Resident Evil, like we do about every horror movie that we deep dive into. And we're going to start with what seems like an obvious question, 
but maybe not. Is Resident Evil a horror movie? Yes, it is. I don't know. Like, I I would have said that in 2002, but watching this movie now, I'm, I, like, I, it's, it really straddles a line for me. Like, I think this is an action movie. And the action just happens to center around things that are sort of like horrific, right? But I mean, given the fact that it shies away from so much gore and it really could have had some better zombie moments and better monster moments, it really doesn't. But it really focuses on a lot of gunfire and and kicking and things like that. And so I just, I don't know. I've seen horror movies that I would also consider action movies and I would still call them more horror. But this one, I don't know, you know? I gotta, I, I would push back on that a little bit because... You know, it's got, to me, it's got everything. It's got the settings. It's got the zombies. There is some gore and there's some pretty horrific gore as, as far as like the lasers and some other things. Um, but the rest of it plays it so tame. It's like a, a pale shade of like Day of the Dead. And we also just watched Day of the Dead right before this, you know, right. so it looks more like Bambi than it does a horror movie. But anything would almost, right? Even aliens. There's not real. if I think about it, there's not really any gore in aliens, right? This one actually has, Resident Evil actually has a movie monster, right? And so there is blood, there is guts, um, there's inventive violence. And, um, you know, we've got movie monsters and we've got zombies. And so I feel like everything is there, diegetic and non-diegetic, to make this a tried and true actual horror movie non-adjacent. Yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. You know, I just kind of wish on this particular watch that some of the action were like downplayed a little bit. And maybe you're right. We had just watched Dawn of the dead. So maybe I'm wanting a zombie movie where someone's like fully ripped apart or whatever, but obviously we can't have that in every single movie. And so it makes Dawn of the day so special, but um, Dawn of the day. I don't know. I'm sorry. It is. Thank you. That's what makes day of the dead so special. <laughs> I'm so glad you caught that now and not <laughs> when you're editing. Lord, I was just wrapping my own fucking. I can see what you're Um, saying too, though, because it is, it presents itself like an action film, just in that it's, um, you know, incidentally has zombies and monsters in it to try and, I think, play it more seriously, maybe make the stakes a little bit higher, make it more modern. But in truth, they're really just watering it down because they didn't just, you know, go for it. So, and like I said, that's partially because of the time. I think there's a very unique, you know, two to four years after Columbine. Where people, yeah. especially the, the 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 people at the MPAA, were being very strict about things, mm-hmm. their ratings. You know, that's very true. Because I mean, I I can't imagine what they would have in this movie to make it in C seventeen. Yeah. You know, I'm like, really, it's been some hard ass shit they cut out. But I mean, yeah, I think it, it straddles a line or whatever. And I I think that this is a movie that people who don't like horror movies can easily watch. Right? People like my husband, even though he didn't watch it with me. So, were you scared while watching Resident Evil? Um, you know, what's funny is like, I got really creeped out. I remember the first time I watched this and I was scared intense, like for the, the prologue. I thought the prologue was some of the, the scariest parts. And I remember there was a lot of tension and build up for the reveal of the zombies and everything going wrong in the facility. And I remember them walking through the main thoroughfare and seeing like the dead body, you know, floating in the water and there was a scene where they look up at someone just kind of looks up at an air vent and then you start hearing like the moans and the groans and the screams of the zombies. And that really freaked me out the first time I watched it. Um, and, uh, and to this day, I remember that fear, but it doesn't give me any now. So I don't know. I've, I've watched far too many things, you know, with, a I don't know, an actual bite rather than a bark specifically day of the dead. Well, last week, <laughs> No. So I, I think it's forever I, like invaded our minds. I remember but. my original fear, but I, I cannot say I was afraid this time. 
yeah, I wasn't afraid this time. And I remember jumping in the theater at certain moments, like especially when that zombie in the water, right? Her eyes open, right? And even though the, I think that was in the trailer too, but um, I don't know. I think that like those moments have been so copied, right? Like I think this movie has been copied throughout the years that watching it now, I'm, I wasn't really scared by it so, yeah. at all. So out of five stars, what would you rate Resident Evil? I give it a three stars. Okay. I also gave it three stars. Yeah. So, um, it's, it's a satisfying movie, right? And I think it gets the job done. I think I liked it a hell of a lot more in 2002. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a little concerning to me because we're even seeing it through a little bit of a nostalgia and maybe not, maybe our nostalgia kind of ends around the 99, 2000 area, you know, Possibly. but this is still yeah. the last 20 years, almost 20 years ago. And I do have some nostalgia around going to see this and experiencing it for the first time and looking forward to it, you know, but um, if I'm rating it a three, it kind of makes me worry about someone just seeing it for the first time today would think of mm-hmm. it, you know, and, and wonder how, how low they would rate it. But all I have to do is look at that rotten tomatoes rating to, Get my answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So finally, who is the hottest guy in Resident Evil? So I'm going to say something controversial. Get brave. Oh, really? Because I'm, I have to know now. So I'm going to say that it is someone we didn't actually mention in the synopsis or much in the uh, discussion at all, but it would be Martin Cruz as Chad Kaplan, the hot commando. Yes, I'm so glad. I think this could be one of the first times in the recent history that we've agreed on the hottest guy in this. I was very movie. close to saying James Purefoy because he has a charisma that's almost unmatched. I think that one would think that those two lead men, right? So like Eric Mabius and James. Eric Mabius looks like, like a, the choice, you know, beige McPlain rap. You know what I mean? I mean, but he's like cute in that really like non-threatening kind of way. Like he should be an actor, kind of handsome, right? Yeah. But Martin Cruz, like Kaplan is so fucking hot. And I don't think I even remembered that watching the movie before, but I was watching it this time and I was like, who the hell is that man? And apparently he's Australian. <laughs> he's only been in like two other movies. Oh, he's so fucking dreamy. And I, I I sort of remembered him dying early in the movie. And then when he kept surviving, I was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> they red herring all of those characters and you lose patience with them. It's, anyway, we've already talked about the problems with the story structure. I know. Here we are talking about the hottest guy and we still have problems with the structure. But I mean, I completely agree with you. I think he's the hottest guy in this movie and I will fucking die on that yeah. hill. So. Well, I think that just about wraps up our conversation on Resident Evil. As always, we want to know what you think about the movie and our conversation. Have you seen it recently? Uh, or have you seen it in the past? Do you think it holds up? You can tell us all of these things on social media at The Film Flamers, on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can also call us with those feelings and leave a message. Tell us all about Resident Evil and your feelings about it as a child, as an adult, or as something else, whatever you are. <laughs> at 972-666-7733. We asked you guys to uh, quote So What the Fuck from Day of the Dead. And we're asking you now, go ahead and quote, you're all going to die down here. Send us those voicemails. We'll play them on Shooting the Flames, along with any voicemail you send in. And reviews. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go leave us a five-star review. And while you like us, we're going to read that as well. Oh, I need a mashup. I need a, you're all going to die down here. Well, so fucking what? So what, bitch? (laughs) (laughs) We're ready for it, y'all. That also wraps up this month's episodes. We hope you enjoyed all the zombie fun, but it's time for April, and we're going to be talking about horror comedies, so look forward to that. 
That's right. Well, Chris, I don't want to die down here. I am ready to go off, maybe see some zombie dogs, and have some sweet dreams. I kind of feel like I want to see Mila Jovovich in other movies. Like I, I mean, like everything I've seen her in Multipass? has been like Resident Resident Evil. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I don't know the reference. There's so many good quotes on it. <laughs> All right, next Multipass. Okay, K-Papas. <laughs> <laughs>